often misuse words. That's right, I'm talking about you. You miss, you all, you misuse words. We've been so accustomed to using certain words in the context of the kingdom of this world that when by grace through faith we enter into the kingdom of God, we tend to use those words as though we were still citizens of this world. So I'm thinking about words like the word love. The world sees love in a different way than the Christian sees love. The, the world sees love as this uh, emotional idea, this, this self-seeking, self-pleasing concept. It's often applied to not only people, but to things. So we say we love things that if we were honest, we, we really don't love. We just, we just like a whole lot. The kingdom of God, love is this, this sacrificial type of love. It's the love that is described to us in 1 John 4 and 10, where it says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but the, that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That this love is a love that God demonstrated to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he took our sins. That is the definition of love that we see in the scriptures. And so to use love to describe your affections for a sports team or, or the restaurant seems to dis- diminish it, to cheapen the word. One such word that I think we misuse, one, another such word that falls into this category is the word impossible. Impossible. Christians misuse the word impossible. Not because the word changes meanings, but because those who use the word use it with a mind They don't use it with a mind towards the kingdom. They use it with a mind towards this world. They fail to realize how the kingdom works. If you haven't noticed by now, as we've been making our way through the gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God is different. I hope you've been getting that. As we have been studying through the gospel of Mark, I hope you have begun to see that the, that the kingdom of this world is different than the kingdom of God. I mean, we're going to keep driving that point home. We're going to keep coming back to it. Because too often we as Christians, we as Christians think in terms of worldly principles worldly ideas but the christian the christian is supposed to have a mind that's set on heavenly things we are to live our lives through gospel lenses through kingdom of god lenses so that 
So that in the world, that the world is consumed with being first, that in the kingdom of, I, of God, I know that to be last is to be first. Although the world is concerned about saving their life, I, at every moment, every opportunity, I'm seeking to lose my life for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. While the world sees suffering as undeserved and unfair, the Christian, the kingdom of God, sees suffering and trials as what I rightly deserve. And I'm thankful that God uses them for his glory and for my good. Kingdom is just different. It's just different. And so it brings me back to the word impossible. You see, the world says, try hard to live right. Be the best person you can be. Don't cheat on your taxes. Be kind to others. Have good manners. Don't do drugs. Stay out of jail. You do all those things. And you will be able to enter into heaven. The kingdom of God says, just believe. Have faith in Christ and you shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus has been teaching us through the gospel of Mark. That it is faith in him, not works, that gains us access into the kingdom. We saw that with Jairus and his daughter, didn't we? And with the woman with the issue of blood. It was their faith that Jesus speaks about in those passages in, in Mark chapter 5. Or how about the Canaanite woman? Jesus calls her faith great faith. The world says that it's your works that get you in. God says it's faith in Christ alone that gets you in. The world hears this and they say, well, just believe. Just believe, just have faith. You don't have to do anything else. That's, that's too easy. Anyone can do that. It's harder to live a good life and to, to volunteer and to be kind to others. That is hard to do. Not many people, not everyone can do that. Oh, brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. What the world thinks is easy, the Bible says is impossible. And what the world says is hard, the Bible says is easy. Many are on that path, that wide path. If it wasn't easy, it wouldn't be wide, right? Narrow is the way to the kingdom and few find it. What the world thinks is easy, the Bible says is impossible. To believe in Jesus is impossible. Did you hear what I just said? It's impossible. But you say, if it's impossible to believe in Jesus and he is the only way, how does one come to believe in him? Well, that's the same question as the disciples ask in Luke chapter 18, isn't it? You remember this story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, 
and come follow me. The man, man looks at Jesus and he says, I, I can't do that. And he went away distraught. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you see that? You see that? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And and his disciples looked around and they said, well, how can anyone get into the kingdom? How is that possible? Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus ushers in the kingdom and makes that which is impossible, possible. And that is the nature of the kingdom. What is impossible with the world, the kingdom of God makes possible. Let's look at our text. Jesus, Peter, James, and John have making their way down from the mountain. They were just on, right? This is, there is much to process. I mean, this here was Jesus transforming into the glory of the Lord. We saw this last week. There was much to process. They have, they have seen the glory of the Lord. And they were ordered by Jesus not to tell anyone. And you could imagine how difficult it would be to hold an experience like this to themselves. And so they're still processing what is going on. And, and, and they're on their way to find the other nine disciples. And from a distance, they see a crowd. And in this crowd, there seems to be this, this commotion going on. Something, something is happening. And as they get closer to the commotion, they, they notice that it is the, the disciples that are in the middle of this commotion. And someone in the crowd perhaps, perhaps sees Jesus and the other three coming towards them and they, they get excited. They, they run to him. They all run to Jesus. Like all the crowds that came searching for Jesus, they were looking for something. You see, as while Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain, It was a crowd that came looking for Jesus. But instead of finding Jesus, they encountered his disciples. Like all crowds, they were looking to be healed. Some of them were there. Perhaps looking to see they might witness a miracle. They were the curious ones. But there were also scribes among the crowd. There were scribes there. And as we know from prior encounters with the scribes that their motives for being there probably were not innocent at all. And that fact is evident when Jesus arrives. For the commotion that they saw from a distance, the Bible Bible tells us, was it was the scribes and the disciples arguing. So they go and they... They see Jesus and they're amazed. They're amazed, the Bible tells us, that they're amazed about, about Jesus. They're, they're excited that now Jesus has come and, and perhaps they're going to be healed. Those people that wanted to see a miracle, the show, was, the show was about to begin. 
And Jesus gets there. Not phased by the attention. He asks the crowd, he says to them, what are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? One man from the crowd speaks up to answer him. Now it's a subtle transition. It's not, it's very, it's very slight, but I hope you notice it because I think it's an important one. It shows, it shows the man believes something about who Jesus was and what he could do. It speaks to his motivation for being amongst the crowd. Jesus asked that question. He asked that question to the crowd, but only one person responds. Not the disciples, not the scribes. Everybody else is quiet, but this one man speaks up and he answers Jesus. He is, in, he is the one man in the crowd who has come looking for Jesus to really help him. You see, as a son, He has a son that is mute, can't speak, he's deaf, and on top of all that, he is plagued with these violent seizures, seizures that are so violent that when it seizes him, it's throwing him in the fire to burn him and throwing him into the water to drown him. The man is convinced that his son is possessed by a demon. And he went to Jesus looking for him to cast this demon out, to to heal his son. Perhaps you're saying, well, how did he know that it was a spirit? How did he know it was a spirit? What, what, maybe it's just the the, the time uh, 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 of the the culture. They, They didn't know. They didn't know how to recognize various symptoms. They didn't, they didn't know What was actually wrong with this man? No, no, brothers and sisters. It is clear. This is the work of the evil one. Not only because of the symptoms, you see that it says it seized him. But because Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. And like we have seen before in Mark's gospel, that this is no coincidental encounter. Like with all the demons in the Bibles, we are seeing a vivid picture of the nature of Satan and sin's destructive goal. Satan's destructive goal. Here was Jesus coming to defeat the works of the enemy. And this was another opportunity for him to do that. Satan's goal is destructive. His goal always is to mar the image of God. Satan had sent a messenger, sent one of his minions, one of his demons to terrorize and ultimately to destroy this boy. As the picture being painted for us, it's, it's sought to throw him in the fire and to kill him. It sought to to drown him. I, I hope that you get this. I hope it's getting into your head. You can't play with sin. Its nature is destruction. But we don't believe that. So we so we play with it. We get burned and we say, Well, that wasn't so bad. 
we, we almost drown and we say, well, I survived that. Brothers and sisters, that is the nature of Satan. Searing your conscience, slowly and methodically seeking to kill you and to destroy you. That is the nature of Satan. And we see it here in a picture of this demon seizing this boy. Seeking to do him harm, seeking to kill him, seeking to destroy him. That is what sin seeks to do to you. Believe that. Sin's nature does not change. Its desire is to kill you. Don't play with it. Not only does this give us a clear and a vivid picture of the destructive nature of sin, but we see the despair of sin here as well. The despair of sin. The hopeless, the helpless misery, desolation, anguish, the impossible nature of sin. Here's here's where I want to land for a moment. Here is this father who has a son. He's got hopes and dreams for his son. But from childhood, he has been afflicted with this demon, this this messenger of Satan. And this isn't just a one-time thing. Here is this father dealing with his son day after day after day from childhood. The son can't hear his loving affection towards his son. The the boy can't speak how thankful he is to his parents for what they are doing to him. The near-death experiences that this father has had with this son. You can imagine the misery, the, the sleepless nights that he's dealing with. Can you sympathize with this father? I bet you can. I bet you can because you know what? Some of you out there know, know the destructive nature of sin on a marriage. Destructive nature of sin on a marriage. Where the the tension is so thick you can see it. Where you wonder, sleepless nights, is this ever going to get better? Some of you know the clutches of pornography. You know how devastating that can be. The shame and the guilt drowning in it. Wondering if I will ever get delivered, have victory over this. Some of you know the mistakes of a sin that you've made. The consequences of that sin. But you just can't get out of your head. They haunt you day 
and night. Brothers and sisters, we all know this despair of sin. I mean, we all come through that door dressed in our Sunday best, but I, but I know it. You can hide from your neighbor, you can hide from me, but God knows the despair that you are in. Wondering, will I ever get out of this anguish? Brothers and sisters, everybody deals with it and, and we see the sin, we see the, 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 that the sin causes so much despair. Causes so much despair that, that somebody comes to you and brings you the hope of the gospel. They speak to you about Christ and you say, it's impossible. You say it's impossible. You don't know this despair I'm in. You don't know what I'm going through. This is the despair of sin. It leads to hopelessness and it produces unbelief. The nature of sin produces unbelief and you know that is the condition of every human heart that enters into this world. They enter into sin's despair, the hopelessness of it, slowly succumbing to the destructive nature of sin. This is what Jesus says here. This is what he, this is what he says. In verse 19, he says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus is amazed at the unbelief here, the faithlessness of this generation. He is not only speaking to the crowd. He's not only speaking to this father, but he's speaking to his disciples as well. Disciples included in this. It is unbelief that has caused the situation that he is dealing with. It's unbelief. Now, here is this man's father standing in front of Jesus in despair. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. And so they go and they bring the boy to Jesus. And immediately we once again see the power and the authority of Jesus. The spirit that is possessing this boy, as soon as it sees Jesus coming, takes the boy, throws him down on the ground, and he begins to convulse and foam at the mouth. You see, the demon knew who Jesus was. He knew the power and the authority. He knew that when Jesus showed up, that he was going to have to leave. Jesus knows his authority. The demon knows Jesus' authority over him. The power that, that Jesus has over the demonic. The question is, do you know that power? Do you know that power? Brothers and sisters, it is unbelief and faithlessness that sees the despair of sin as insurmountable. It is seeing your situation in light of the world. 
Instead of a light of the kingdom that leads you to think that your situation is impossible. The father lacked the faith to believe in Jesus and the disciples lacked the faith to cast it out of the boy. See, the demons, see, the disciples had had tried to cast this demon out of the boy and they couldn't. And Jesus is going to deal with their unbelief shortly. But he was first going to deal with the unbelief of the father. You see his lack of faith and how he answers Jesus. Jesus being compassionate and being caring, wants wants to hear from this man, wants to hear the situation. He comes up to the man and he says, how long has he been like this? Jesus knows how long. He just wants to enter in. He wants the man to communicate to him what the issue is. The man goes on, the father goes on to, to say, it's, it's been like this from childhood. The, the demon seizes him and, and seeks to throw him in the water. And throw him in the fire. And as as the man is recalling this. As he is telling Jesus his despair. As he is telling Jesus his situation. You hear the doubt and the despair rising in his voice. Until he gets to say and he says. Lord but, but if you can do anything. Please help us. Have compassion on us. Do you hear that? That doubt? That, that lack of trust, trust? If you can? That's what Jesus says. If you can? Certainly, certainly had heard of Jairus' daughter who had been raised from the dead. Certainly had heard about the the demoniac whom left Jesus clothed in his right mind. Where was his faith? Where was his trust? Others have asked Jesus if he will, not if he can. Question is, where is your faith? Where is your faith? We pray, Lord, if you can just fix my marriage. Jesus, if you can can help me with this addiction. Lord, if you can keep me from gossiping. Lord, if you can give me Patience. Jesus looks at the man and says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He is saying that if you can believe in me, place your faith in me, your trust in me, all things are possible. Possible. In other words, what Jesus is saying, it's up to you. Believe in me. 
didn't I just say earlier that it's impossible to believe? It's impossible to believe. That is why what the man says next is so crucial to understanding how the kingdom works. The man immediately says, he immediately says, Lord, I believe. I believe what you are able to do, Lord. I believe you, but there's, there's still doubt in me. There's, there's my son that I've been dealing with day after day. I believe, Lord, but there's doubt. There is sin, sin still there. I believe that you can help me with my marriage. I believe, Lord, that you can deliver me from this pornography, Lord. I believe that you can help me have patience with my children, Lord. I believe, but there is doubt. There is sin still there. Lord, help my unbelief. It's there, Lord. It's there. I believe, but I need you to help me with my unbelief. You might be hard pressed to find another more humble and broken response in all the Bible. He cries for help. Help with the hardest thing God commands us to do. Believe. That's what he does. He commands us to believe. And you know what he wants in response to that command? You know what he wants us to do in response to that command? He wants us to ask him for help. To fulfill it. That shows humility. That shows brokenness over sin. That shows faith. That shows belief. Jesus is delighted to help those who ask. You ask, you, you have not because you ask not, James tells us. Jesus gives us faith to overcome our unbelief. Right after that, Jesus rebukes the spirit. And he commands the spirit to, to come out of the boy. And, and it throws him down and it leaves him convulsing. And it comes out of the man and, and those looking around look at the boy and he says he's dead. He's, he's laying there almost lifeless. But Jesus kneels down and takes him by the hand and lifts him up. Isn't that what he did with Jairus' daughter? He went into the house. He said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he goes into the house and he takes her by the hand and he, he lifts her up. It's the picture of what Jesus comes to do. To restore. You see, the devil's goal is destruction. To destroy you. To kill you. Jesus' goal is to restore you, full restoration, to raise you from the dead. 
That is the promise that those who believe that we will one day be free from sin, free from the remnants of unbelief, raised and united with Christ in eternity. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. There's still more unbelief that needs to be dealt with. For the disciples are confused now. So they go into the house and they, they say to Jesus, well, well, what went wrong? What went wrong, Jesus? They had tried before Jesus had got there to cast out the demon of this boy, but they could not. You know what Jesus tells them in a nutshell? In a nutshell, this is what Jesus told them. You started believing your own press. You started believing your own press. That's what we do. Like the disciples, we have some success in overcoming ministry. I mean, in overcoming sin. We have some success in ministry. And we start believing our own press. The, the disciples had casted out demons before. They got comfortable. And like us, they begin to think that they can do things in their own abilities. So we say, I don't need to pray before going on that business trip. I've prayed before and I've had success. I'm good. I've shared the gospel with enough people. I don't need to pray before going out to witness anymore. I can teach this, son, this toddler Sunday school class without praying. They're only kids. The disciples had cast out demons before. They thought they had it down. They started believing in their abilities instead of God's. You know what that is? That's unbelief. That is unbelief. Any belief that is not in Christ is unbelief. And Jesus says, listen, if you are going to have any power in your ministry, you must stay on your knees. Without me, you can do nothing, John 15 tells us. Any good that you desire to do is not going to happen apart from me. Your faith has to be in me. You have to believe in me. It's the only way it's going to come about. The reason the disciples could not cast out that demon is because they didn't pray. They were believing in their own abilities. Brothers and sisters, don't succumb to that unbelief. Any, any work you seek to do in ministry, anything, be it on your, your home, your job, 
Oh, you pray. You trust in Christ. For apart from him, you can do nothing. See, because when you pray, when you pray, what you are saying, what you are saying is, Lord, help my unbelief. That's what you're saying. When you get down on your knees, you're saying, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe there is sin in my heart that doubts. Help me. Oh, brothers and sisters, I know there are situations in here now. That you just can't get them out of your, your mind. You hear me one minute and then you're thinking about that situation the next. And you're saying that it's impossible. It's impossible with men. It's possible with God. You say, Lord, I need your help. I believe that you are able to to do something about this situation. Help my unbelief. This man had little faith. Little faith. Wasn't about the size of his faith. It is who his faith is in. It's in Christ. That's that's where our trust needs to lie. That's where our faith needs to go. Needs to be in Christ. Believe into Christ. Perhaps you're here and you're saying, well, I've never, I've never trusted Christ. I'm still Believing in my own abilities. That I can work my way into heaven. It's impossible. Can't do it. What's impossible with men is possible with God. You trust Jesus. You say, Lord, help. Help my unbelief. And there he is. To grant you. Belief. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. Help. Oh, there's so much doubt in our hearts, Lord. We see the despair of sin and we think that it is more powerful than you. Forgive us of that sin, Lord. For you are more powerful And anything this world, Satan could throw at us, Lord. We know that the promise in your word that he 
who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, Lord, it is a fact. It is a reality. And Lord, we have mental knowledge of these things, Lord. And we believe them in a classroom, Lord. When we live our lives, when we are going through the trial, temptation is to doubt. So we ask, Lord, help us. Help us with our unbelief. Oh, Lord, we know that you can. We ask that you would be willing. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.